Welcome to Design Thinking Games, a fantasy and user experience podcast. Each episode, your podcast hosts, Tim Broadwater and Michael Schofield, will examine the player experience of board games, pen and paper role-playing games, live action games, mobile games, and video games. You can find every episode, including this one, on your podcatcher of choice and on the web at designthinkinggames.com. So last night is Thursday evening, which for many uh, Dungeon Dungeons and Dragons player is their game night. It's a holy day um, on the week. We had uh, a couple of our players had guests in town, and so I was able to randomly generate a class for them. Here's uh, an example of kind of like what was counterintuitive for a new D&D 5th edition player who about the class system. Um, they come in to play a game. This scenario that they're dropping into, they're 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 picking up the our our party. The quarriers have found their way into um, uh, Temple of Denier, out in the living dunes, uh, deep in the sands. I think this is your homebrew. This right? is like, yeah, this it's, is it's a little world. hybrid homebrew. Your... Mm-hmm. Okay, and think of uh, think of Brendan Fraser's The Mummy, <laughs> right? When they go way out, I like yeah, I love that movie. It's a good movie. <laughs> and so, so here they are, um, trying to get into the heart of this uh, mysterious sand covered temple. The new players, our 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 party guests um, are picking up the roles of a couple of the retainers that the party had hired to help them, you know, do some of the labor uh, around traveling. But here we are. OK, so these players who are guests of the party are picking up the roles of some of the retainers that help the party do some uh, laborious travel. They're the ones who carry all the heavy packs, uh, things like that. Um, I happen to know because of the mechanics of the game um, and some of the homebrew that we're playing that one of these is a lower class or lower level ranger and the other is a lower level barbarian. So I randomly generate these characters at that level and I dole them out. The issue is that we, this scenario, this first scenario for two people in this session is one full of puzzles. They are deep in this temple and they're not fighting bad guys or zombies or sand creatures. They are trying to get from chamber to chamber by solving riddles. It's one of those things. Um, Mm -hmm. So what do players do around the table? They start in on solving the riddles and riddle riddle time is one of those parts of a game where the the where, it sounds like a, kill, a children's show yeah like yeah it's a, it's a <laughs> no it's good um it's riddle time is the part of the game where i think the line between the player and the character really blurs, right? You can sometimes have a character who's smarter than you and they may roll to get some added insight that you as a player might not actually know. But generally you, the player, you, Tim, is 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 uh, the one who is trying to solve the puzzle. It's no longer your character, it's you. So what we had was... Um, uh, this person who's playing Hyther the Barbarian uh, was making really good um, 
uh, guesses at some of these puzzles as they go. All the while, when periodically she had to roll like an arcana check or a history check or anything that had to rely on intelligence, she had a negative one, <laughs> right? So her character is by class, just especially by the random uh, assortment or the random allotment of skills for this barbarian class, is dumb as rocks, but the player is quite smart. And when she failed every single intelligence check that was made, she was really confused because she's like, damn, I, me, the player, solved the pro or solved the riddle or could solve this riddle, but my character is stupid. And it's one of those things where um, she found that the constraint of the class was like and, and was really confusing. All this to say, this is the this is the anecdote that I wanted to lead into when we yeah. start talking about the the mechanics and the design of uh, particularly like RPGs where powers and skills and uh, capacities are organized in classes, engineers or soldiers or uh, adepts or barbarians, as opposed to the alternate, the, the alternate, <laughs> the alternate, which is um, some sort of like classless game design where you level up a certain ability through use yeah there is um a couple things there i know you you told me in the past that you've never played dungeons and dragons before fifth edition yeah i am that's a grasp grasping the pearls moment for me uh because <laughs> that's i'm just like what how was that even possible um because i know you you know the reason the reason I brought that up is because there's a lot of discussion in the in the hashtag TTRPG uh, Twitter um, about the constraints of classes in D and D fifth edition yeah. and going classless and I and I and thought this was new been, yeah no no it's always baked into D and D and so let me give you some I've played I never played the original the OG Gygax Dungeons and Dragons I played advanced like. So, um, and then advanced second edition and, and kind of so on. So, um, so I played first, second and third edition Dungeons and Dragons. Um, in first edition, um, I can't speak to it cause I literally don't remember. Um, but I spent many years playing second edition Dungeons and Dragons, um, advanced Dungeons and Dragons. In second edition, it was the kick in the gut to dual class or multi-class. Um, and the reason why is if you went along and you were a barbarian and you got to third or fourth level and you're like, hey, I want to pick up, you know, a thief kind of thing, like to pull off maybe a barbarian thief, kind of like Conan is, um, you know, uh, kind of in yeah. the movie. Uh, you have to stop. You get nothing from it's like you ma it made no sense because to start over just to learn to hey pickpocket and use thief cools and sneak um, you didn't retain anything in your brain 
um, about being a barbarian until you got up to that third or fourth level again. And then, once you were third or fourth level, and you got to the same point you were with, like, rogue or thief, with a barbarian, then you could pursue both. Like, you would split your experience, right? Wow. Wow, that's hardcore. Yeah. Yeah, and it it was. And it was just like, dude, uh, there's there's a huge difference between a first and a fourth level character, you know? Just like there's a seventh and a tenth level character difference, right? And so when you are rolling with your buddies and you're playing and you're just like, oh, crap, now I go back to level one, they're going to have to carry me for, like, a while. Um, and so it was really clumsily done just for the reason that you specifically said, because it didn't seem real. It didn't seem that you could have a smart barbarian, that you could have um, a magic user who could fight, you know, like martial arts, not martial, but like um, melee, right? Could fight in melee. Um and but we all were raised with Gandalf and read Lord of the Rings, so we were like, well, this doesn't make sense. Gandalf had a sword. How does you know what I mean? And so I think it was the to me, and this is kind of stepping back and looking at it. It's like I think classes they can be great and they've worked for years, but I think what we're seeing now is this push towards. Um, what are more sophisticated or realistic or advanced ways that we can put skills and proficiencies and abilities together than having to it being divided in these silos, right? Like a silo, like if you want to heal someone, you know, or versus if you want to steal from someone versus if you want to be able to fight on a horse. I mean, those are, it's like, no, those are three classes. Never shall the twain meet, you know? Um, and I think that's a lot of people's experience with um, tabletop RPGs um, until maybe recently. Yeah, like I, it occurred to me while you're talking, and I decided to Google just to just to see if there's some evidence here. But to me, the the idea of like classes plays really well when you think of the party as a single unit, right? Where um, the only way that because the reality. It, uh, when you, as a group of players in a collaborative game, are playing against a big bad, you're going after the white dragon or you're facing down Cthulhu, is that it's not five individuals versus the the hulking beast. It is a party unit, your coterie, your your group that is together. Together composes a well defined. Uh, uh, opponent to the bad guy because you have the tank and you have the healer and you have the spell slinger uh, and so on right but increasingly you know especially with the popular uh, popularity of like D&D uh, in the last couple of years um, thanks in part to the pandemic and critical role before that and is that Dungeons and Dragons and these kind of RPGs and maybe it dovetails with the popularity and scale of single player RPGs that have come out like Skyrim and the Elder Scrolls games. But it seems to me that now when I'm playing with my group of players or I'm playing by myself or I'm listening to people talk about kind of like the meta, the meta, the meta conversation around D&D, it's the RPG is a, an exploration of the individual as opposed to like the group dynamic. It's really yeah. highlighting that those yeah, individual if, features. 
Yeah, so if you think of like traditional role-playing games to where it's like, who's our healer? We can't even go if we don't have a healer. Yeah, There's some yeah. truth about that, yeah. you know, where it's like, we have to have a paladin will not cut it. We need a cleric or, or you know, something or a life oracle or something like that, right? Um, and I think that's something that over time kind of evolves. Not that it was bad. It was just kind of, it's just not realistic, right? And I think if you look at two modern systems that I'm aware of, well, let me just say Starfinder, which is the sci-fi um, tabletop role-playing game from Paizo. Are you aware of it? I'm aware of it because you talk about it all the time, but I've never once played it. Yeah, so it's it actually won in its first year um, best um, RPG of the year, like tabletop role-playing game of the year, because um, I just think it was time where people... Like, it was a good time... People were sick of high fantasy, and they wanted something different. Oh, sure. And it's kind of like Mass Effect, but the role-playing game, you know what I mean? So there's like all these like insane amount of player races, that, uh, alien races that you can play and, and, and whatever. But, but what Starfinder does that I really like is that since it's the future and it's space, everyone, um, if you think of these things that are like, okay, magical items tech um cybernetics robots yeah. you know those are things that anyone can have um that's all kind of offloaded into the like a lot of skills are offloaded into that like you don't need to play a winged race because dude everyone can buy a jetpack you know um and it's kind of like everyone can buy anti-gravity boots everyone can have a drone with a camera on it you know everyone can have you know these kind of things so it kind of levels a lot of the playing field and then really what it is what i like what i think a lot of people like about starfinder and find it refreshing is that with the combination of the unique um the unique things and uh or exit um ex, what is it called eccentricities eccentricities i don't know what word i'm looking for but the unique characteristics of um uh I guess what I'm trying to say is classes don't matter so much anymore. Your alien race matters. And if you can all get magical items and tech and cybernetics and whatever and a vehicle and a spaceship, you know, it it adds enough play to it. So it really comes down to more of um the character flavor that you want. It's not limiting, right? There are many different ways you can heal yourself. You can do it with serums. You can do it with med kits. You can do it with magic, you know, and you can have access to all those things. So it's a combination. So if you think of like offloading all your skills that way, like, hey, I don't need to put like a lot into computers or hacking, but I could have a robot with me that hacks computers for me, you know what I mean? Or something like that. It kind of lets you kind of do whatever you want. And the classes themselves in Starfinder, in my opinion, they don't have a lot of crazy abilities. I mean, there's some cool stuff, but they generally can only really do like one thing. And so like you're either, um, everyone can fire laser weapons. So everyone can range attack, right? Um, Everyone can fire, Everyone can use melee weapons. So the classes are like, well, this one's maybe better at melee, or this one's better, or this one inherently gets magic. But that doesn't mean you can't use magic. So it opens it up enough to where um, you don't have to worry about um, 
you know, kind of being pigeonholed into being one thing, like in, in older RPGs. And Paizo, which does Pathfinder and Starfinder, um, and there's Pathfinder 1st and 2nd Edition, 1st Edition, 2nd Edition, and Starfinder, uh, well, I will say this, 1st Edition and, sec- and Starfinder lets you add every level. So at every level, you can say, like, I'm going to be a vanguard and then the next level the class i'm going to take is an envoy and then i'm going to take wow two soldiers and then think so each level you can just add a new class and and as long as you can meet the requirements for that class like at least you have to have the basic strength or wisdom score or mm-hmm. whatever um you can just keep you can custom build it as you level up there's no kind of penalty um however when they released pathfinder second edition two years ago they nerfed that because I think they found out like although people loved it because you could you could be a barbarian wizard bard you know what I mean <laughs> if you wanted to and make have something cool um, they try what they found is that characters got really OP um, quickly they became overpowered so in second edition Pathfinder when you level if you start out as a let's say a rogue or mm-hmm. a thief you are always a rogue or a thief. However, um, the way that they've done, they have tons of feats in second edition. There are racial feats, there are class feats, you know, there are um, combat feats, and everyone gets everything, right? You can sack some of your class feats as a rogue. So you're like, I can pick pockets, but okay, I'm not going to get hide in shadows. But I will sack my hide in shadows to get access to... Um, cleric you know abilities oh and so they've made it to where you can kind of like you can like learn and do things from other classes but you it's going to it's good the penalty is and it's not really a penalty it's like but it's not you're not going to advance as much as you do as a rogue if you are also going to heal people but it doesn't penalize you you know yeah that's interesting i like i kind of want to rewind uh, a minute to your mention that they discovered that players kind of doing or building however they wanted ended up creating like really overpowered characters. And I think that's probably like, that's probably the argument for class is like in terms of the design of the system of the game that it probably, I imagine classes make it easier to balance. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You see this, kind of uh, expressed in really counterintuitive ways in some shooters. I'm a like I like I like my first person shooters and the war game I really like is uh, I prefer the Battlefield series to just about everything else and uh, recently they have um, really excellent rifles class locked to a medic class that you would think would be available to a sniper class or an assault class or any class really. Um, But they do that precisely because the, the specific intricacies of class a added to the buffs and like abilities of weapon B create something that is indomitable like on the, on the game. 100%. Yeah. So I, but it's weird and it's hard as a player not to run into that 
cognitive leap. It's almost like an uncanny valley where you're like, wow, this this is really not real. This is not how it would be <laughs> like in an, in an act like if you actually like set foot in the game, which is probably exacerbated as games become increasingly realistic uh, and. Either yeah, and yeah. there's the opposite to that as well. Like, the even more of a rejection or run away from reality. Like, I want fantasy, I want ridiculous, I want overpowered, you know? One of the themes that we've been talking about for, you know, the many episodes now have been about, like, player... Like, the, the, the role of player customization in that, like, overall experience. And it's one of those things where classes really get in the way. These are real barriers. I also, um... I don't know what other kind of class versus classes, classless mechanics um, you're a fan of or you like, but I kind of like, uh, one of the things we talked about here recently, I think was Morkborg. Yeah, so Morkborg is an old school revival. It is a brutal, like, post-apocalyptic game. Um, and it is essentially, um, but you have limited stats. <laughs> the cool thing about Morkborg is, is you have limited stats, you have limited health, damage attributes, or whatever. Whenever you level up, it is basically like um, White Wolf or World of Darkness, to where it's like you get dots. Now, you can put those dots on whatever you want. It yeah. could be your vampire power of celerity, or it could be your claws as a werewolf, or it could be just your health. But it's just like you actually choose what you want to be good at because you just get dots. Yeah, and right? it's just a finite amount of dots. Yeah, and so maybe you do a campaign, and at the end of the campaign you level up, and it's like you get three dots. And so it's really how you could then make yourself super fast or make yourself more healthy or you know, or whatever. Or good at firearms. <laughs> I mean, it's really, <laughs> you know, it's kind of that open system. And Morkborg is like that as well, as well as the old school uh, Marvel superheroes role-playing game. Like when you level up, you essentially can increase... Uh, Marvel's superhero, the, the role-playing game, is an old tabletop role-playing game that I want to actually start running a campaign for here in the next couple of months just because I hadn't played it since I was in, like, middle school. And it's, like, a fun... If you ever want to play a, a superhero-based tabletop role-playing game, I highly suggest Marvel Superheroes role-playing game. But it is essentially the same. You have powers... However you get them, it doesn't matter if they're tech, alien, magic, whatever. You have knowledge and you have resources. And so essentially, if you want to make yourself better at driving cars or make your laser eyes like more powerful or you want to have more money, I mean, that's it's where you put it's like the dots for like White Wolf. It's where you put them. Um, so it doesn't really you know, matter. Where does it? Like when it comes to balance, like uh, are we're just having like a finite amount of points to expend. Like, how do you prevent that OP nature? How like what prevents you from putting you know five points into firearms, which maxes it out, or or is it nothing? Does it just no? It's it's kind of how it's what it, what I like about White Wolf, and you may be able to speak to this too, like the White Wolf tabletop you know role playing game or Marvel superheroes or Morkborg or others that are classless based systems, but yeah. have this, you know, kind of not a skill tree, but it's like you, you get what you get like experience and, and you can put it however you want to your character in whatever way. It's kind of just denoted like through role playing or through 
um, what you do in your downtime, quote unquote, mm-hmm. is that. And so if, if you want your character to be like really good at ranged attacks or firearms or weapons, you kind of, that's what you focused on. And you work into your character like, oh, I started going to the gun range with my human friend. He doesn't know I'm a vampire. But, you know, and then I, I started getting really good at shooting. And then that's something that you can take over. This is part of the but plan, you can yeah. also say that you worked on your speed or your celerity, right? So you could move super quick. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like that. If it's for richness or resources, then it's basically like, oh, you spent a month or two weeks or whatever your downtime is doing PR, <laughs> spinning up a website, doing some podcast interviews, or you know, and then but then people know you yeah. and recognize you. So you know, it's kind of so it, it lets you play whatever character you want to play and grow it however you want to grow it, and it doesn't always have to be. I will never get these powers or abilities, um, because. Um, I'm limited by a class. Yeah, and that's the key. Let's say you're a ranger um, in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and you are hanging out with a wizard who, you know, in your travails, you have lifted the spell books of many, many another wizard antagonist, right? So you have, like in your downtime, ample opportunity Let's say you have five spellbooks in your party, you know, one belonging to your own wizard and then just four others that you've looted. You have ample opportunity in like a long rest, um, like over the course of a campaign to maybe study. But the system will not let you earn certain or use certain Mm -hmm. spells because you those spells are locked to the wizard class or or something like that. And that's um, and that's the main that's a particular gripe, right? Because the uh, the uncanny valley comes in when you are told, for system reasons, that under no circumstances could your forest-born wood elf ever learn this spell, even if it's taught to you by the creator of that spell or something like that. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's like you're never going to learn. Uh, and and uh, in Pathfinder Second Edition, they actually have like occult magic, nature magic, arcane magic, and yeah. divine magic. Right? They have four magic sources. Where they used to have psychic magic too, which was like telekinesis. Um, telekinesis. And, yeah, yeah, basically ma- mind magic. Yeah. I mean, it's what they called it, you know. But I mean, but it's basically everything you think of a psionicist or you know, a, yeah, you know, a telepath or or whatever. But. But no, I agree with you, and and I think the reason why, and I'm not going to say it's lazy, because I think it has to work, like content-wise, and make map to a game, and you're not super powerful super early. Um, but the reason why the White Wolf, you know, kind of Morkborg, Marvel superhero, like the dots, like you get dots and uh, points, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. It maps to video games really easily. You know, whenever you complete a quest or you kill yeah. X amount of people, or you get experience, you level up, boom, you get a you get a dot, you yeah, get a point. It's the, it's a and you can put it wherever, mm-hmm. yeah, wherever you want. And so, if you want to be faster, or you want to, a lot of people in games go to the strategy like, dude, I'm going to max out my health first, so I have just a huge health bar, yeah, right? Sure. Or I'm going to max out my defense, so I don't, or my attack. So you know. Everyone plays differently, and that it's not lazy. I think it's a little lazy, but but it's like that's an easy go-to experience system. Um, but the thing it affords you, we call it lazy or not, is also 
you can kind of work to what you want. You're not locked into trees or in a class. And so in vampire there, there is a kind of class, however, right? And it's your vampire clan uh, where I think classes play a role, which I think is interesting because I play, I like to play low fantasy gritty games that deal with real things, hashtag. Um, and that's one of the reasons that I like the world of darkness when we talked about it in that episode is because it's this world. It's just a little more supernatural. Um, one of the things where I think classes work and vampires have you know, va- the vampire class system is their clan, um, which it does restrict. I mean, for the most part, like with the different uh, disciplines, uh, the vampire powers that you have access to, like only the Bruja have maybe potence and celerity and, you know, the kind of like the powers that you think of in terms of vampires being super strong and super fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and the clan that you choose as a player tailors your experience not to the skills that you can develop but like the potential for your vampiric power i think yeah. what you're saying and this is it's been a while it's been a minute since i've played you know vampire you should but, play a vampire but game. if i'm yeah yeah <laughs> that or werewolf is that the whole point of the clan or a werewolf tribe or whatever it is is that there's actually certain powers that only that that clan gets access to that are passed down through through turning but then there's a general vampire pool, right? Like werewolf, mm. to where you can just kind of get general powers that all vampires could get. You that, know, is that, is that, that correct? No, like at least not in the old world of darkness, right? Like it really is that the the idea of the clan, um, like what like when I think of a class that works, a class system, the idea of the clan is really on the nose because the clan is effectively about the. In this case, vampiric, but the social strata into which you are born, you can't escape the nature of your clan. Now, all vampires have things in common. They're pretty hungry. They have things, they have something within them called the beast that wants to come out whenever there's a hint of blood in the air or, or, um, but the like threat of claws. fire can like not all no can not, not all like not, vampires have claws no not in the original well so in Owad so you know there's World of Darkness one and now now we're in World of Darkness three uh, World of Darkness two this is I I made a I made a, a huge caveat when we talked in this episode that I played in the late nineties through the early two thousands right so that's mm-hmm. my time um, so it's like gangrels can only get claws. Only gangrels could get claws. Now, how do how do you let's say uh, one of the Toreador, um, who are who is considered sort of like the bougie clan? Um, how how do you get gangrel powers? It's like well, you kill one, you kill a gangrel, and you suck their soul out of them, <laughs> right? Like you drink a you kill one and drink their blood, and you can get it that way. Well, you you, you do more than drink their blood; you literally consume their very essence. And and there's a game mechanic; it's called Diablery. Um, and there's a mechanic where that can go awful for you, but if it works, yeah, you get powers from you other bloodline clans. Exactly. Yeah. What I what I like about certain. Um, I've seen some homebrews in Dungeons and Dragons that I've I've considered because I'm I, I feel constrained by classes now. Um, but one of the things I like is a class or a kind of certain features or skills that are unlocked by your background. Like I think there's something kind of interesting about the idea. Is like oh my family is a noble, my family are nobles, and we have all these resources, and thus I am an excellent 
researcher, right? But like, oh, it was like I was a peasant child born like next to a wood, like a lumber mill. Um, you're probably illiterate. I th I think that's compelling, and I love the idea. Whereas, like, you know, I when there's a game that Amazon is developing called New World that you put me onto that I've been watching interestingly because I'm pretty sure, although I'm pretty sure that it is a classless MMO. Um, yeah, and I think that was one of the reasons, uh, even in general topic about it, because it looks amazing. And that's the big selling point that they keep pushing is like, no classes, be whatever you want to be, build who you want to build. Everyone's on the same playing field, you know? It's amazing. Yeah, so for like New World, I know that there are a lot of people that I where I work who are like interested in getting on board, and they're doing a beta now or an alpha now. Unfortunately, that what you do in the alpha or beta doesn't get copied over to. Um, That's I hate that. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't get copied over to the actual game. So to me, and I, every player is different. But for me, that is like, well, I'm just going to wait till it starts. Right. And, uh, and I know you'd pay more to get on the alpha or the beta just to get like, oh, a new custom item set or like a cool armor piece or a cool mount. But that doesn't appeal. That's not enough spin for me to be like, you can play and waste it all. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? and it doesn't go anywhere. But like what I like about New World is exactly this thing to where it's like, we are totally embracing this classless system it's a points build and my understanding of the, the limited stuff i've watched is if you think about pirates of caribbean time period which i'm not exactly sure what that is but it's basically like we have technology to some degree we have simple steam machines and there's gunpowder and there's muskets and guns right um and there's giant like armadas and, and, and sailing across the sea. The, um, basically, it's an alternate version of history where they find an island. I guess it's named Eternum or Eternum. Uh, I get that, e like Eternum, yeah. And I, you know, and I will be an Amazon fanboy and say everything that Amazon touches is gold. Yeah. They, they know desirability. They know the difference between usability and desirability. Mm -hmm. And they give people desirability. And so a lot of people are very excited for, you know, what Amazon can do to try to experience it. And I, I'll definitely be checking it out. Yeah, as much as I like to um, even treat in my normal life, like, you know, like we, we, we utter the word Amazon and spit over our shoulder and sprinkle salt on our ancestors or some shit. But like, <laughs> but they are winning because they're good and um i and they know what people want and what will people pay for and they yeah. and that's what they give them you there, know there's something in here yeah so like their entire like about page i'm excited when this when the, when when we get a chance to play this i really want to break down like some of the design choices they make is this style of classlessness and do as you will like the future i i would love to really pick the mind of someone who's working on the engines underneath uh, something like this um, about how they think about it. Because when I think about, gosh, if I, if I were to design a game, um, even at like a small level, like at a, a game that just exists within the four corners of a table, um, I, I, to your point, I think classes are easier to balance right and yeah, i just you're definitely i'm right. so um it, like the difficulty of the development probably increases exponentially to give the player this kind of experience but if they nail it then you know this is going to be sticky uh 
because you know, and then and maybe this is a a good dovetail into like a, a subsequent episode, uh, something that we've never even put on our board. But I'm thinking about it because you know, if this game gets legs and it and there's a player base and Amazon really leans into it, they're going to embellish the, this experience with with cross platform opportunities imagine alexa tells you oh my gosh there's someone waiting for you at your fish market to make a to make a transaction right oh yeah dude microtransactions definitely it's already probably baked into it there's also i think um when you think about the the quest for the most usable game and we talk about yet another metric or slider right realism some of the things that you said versus realism versus fantasy where some people would say, well, that's not realistic. In the real world, you have to devote for years to just learn how to become a sword master. So you should be, if you're a samurai class, you should only get this. And people outside the class shouldn't. Yeah. And I, and I see that. I get it. I'm like, that. I do get it. That's realism. Some people don't want that in the games. Like the realism piece of like studying or class being locked down versus like being a phenomenal sniper or like what's my shooting time and what's the kickback of the gun. You know, that's that's a type of realism. But... There's also this, the fantasy side, right? Which is, you know, why can't I transform into a cat, swing a giant magic sword, and and cast lightning fireballs, you know, <laughs> and you know, and be able to pick pockets, you know? So it's like, oh, well, so it, it kind of also depends on what people want out of the game. <laughs> no, Tim, if you uh, put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Thank you for listening to the Design Thinking Games podcast. To connect with your hosts, Michael or Tim, please go to designthinkinggames.com where you can request topics, ask questions, or see what else is going on. Until next time, game on.